You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I am your host, Adam Perry. I am super excited today to talk with Alberto Cantor on how to market marketing. Alberto is actually the Senior Director of Corporate Marketing and Demand Generation at Aries Global. Uh, they're a B2B SaaS company serving the life science industry. During his time there, Alberto actually built and scaled the demand generation function from the ground up. He significantly has contributed to the company's financial success. We'll get into that part of the story. And in his spare time, he also leads branding, brand marketing, and Marcom. He's been a marketer for 10 years, and he's worked at a bunch of high-growth SaaS companies at different roles, mostly in demand generation and in the health tech life sciences industry. Alberto, really excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Well, glad to be here. Yeah, very excited about this conversation we're about to have. All right, Alberto, I got to set it up a little bit because this is the exact story I want to tell. So I'm from the Bay Area, and one of the things that's interesting about the Bay Area is that we're at like the center of the technology universe, right? So sometimes we talk about concepts as if everyone gets them and everyone's using the latest technology tools and knows all the best modern ways to market and sell. And the reality is that that's like, as you look around the country, most companies are not tip of the spear. So if you could start us off, can you tell us a little bit about when you joined Aris Global and where they were and what you saw, you know, just just right as you came in and, and why they brought you on board? Sure. So to give you a little bit of context, Ars Global, we've been in the market for about 35 years. And traditionally, it was a very sort of product slash sales driven organization where marketing was always an afterthought or an after afterthought. For a long period of time, there was a small marketing team and, and they were mostly in the support function. But we never really, or the marketing team back then actually never really was able to scale up or let's just say, do or be the forefront of marketing. When I joined the company, we were a team of about six people and we had some key areas covered, light marketing operations in the sense of someone was maintaining the website and you know part of the CRM. We had event marketing, which was and still is one of our most important areas for demand generation and overall marketing. We had a product marketing team of two. And then, well, the VP of marketing who joined a few months before I did and myself. So when I got here, the first thing I did was to basically understand what was happening and what we were doing. And the reality was that we were doing, again, just the very basics of marketing. And most of it was a direct support to sales, meaning we would get a request from sales, you know, we'll, we'll help them prep content, prep materials, things like that. And then, you know, they will go on and in many cases, win the deals, in other cases, lose them, but we weren't being proactive in marketing. Our tech stack was very basic. We had a CRM and marketing automation tool. It was being used in a very basic way, you know, just basically sending one-sided emails. Our website was pretty much fully hard-coded. It was almost impossible to do a copy change without 
having to bring some technical resources. And we had a very rudimentary setup for paid ads. It was essentially just bidding towards our brand keywords and that was it. That's it. Yes. It was very bare bones. How common is this? Like, have you gone in and you've seen this in the past in your career? Is this, a, is this about what we should expect as we, as marketers and we're come into organizations that have been around for a minute? It's actually super common. And I think it's more common, I'd say, in those sort of product or, or sales-driven organizations, which, you know, some of them do great without marketing. Others might struggle without, but definitely, you know, it's, it's something that's needed. I've seen it now. This is the third time I've seen it in my career. The first time was when I joined a new-ish startup. They were about two years old and the marketing team was just starting. So it was really, again, building everything from the ground up, all the infrastructure, bringing scale processes, even understanding how much money we need to spend in marketing. The second time was also another startup where they were actually making the first marketing hire. They were traditionally purely sales-led. You know, the sales team would go and give the product team some feedback and sort of updates that were happening in the market. And then the product team will build it and then they wouldn't sell it. But again, without marketing. Now, you know, this for sure has been the most, I'd say, interesting opportunity for me in that sense, because our school has been in the market for a long time and we have a lot of brand recognition within the industry. And it's really impressive that every, not everything, but most of the things that we think of come up with as an idea or, or just long, launch as a new initiative. It's brand new for the company. We've never done it in history. So I'd say it's more common than people think, especially than what people think in the Bay Area. And just a parenthesis there, I lived in the Bay Area for six years. So I understand how you can be immersed in the latest technology and latest trends and expect for everyone or expect everyone to be at uh, that same level. But in reality, it's, you know, it's a, it's a very small city population wise, right? It's a very small region and the great majority of companies are outside the Bay Area. So I'd say, yeah, it's, it's very, very common in the United States. It's even more common in other regions in the developed world. And I'm not even going to talk about, you know, developing nations, which absolutely, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, it's just starting. Yeah. Some of it, it definitely trickles down. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about some of the things that you took on, some of the changes that you instituted. How do we bring a company that is not tip of the spear into the modern era? Right. That's a great question. So I'm going to talk about my particular journey here at Aris Global. So one of the, I guess, one of the biggest challenges that we had to start was to basically get team members and other teams on our side, all right, to have them understand that marketing is, is a great function to have. It's your partner and your ally in many, you know, many ways. And it's also a team that can really drive forward significant changes that will impact your team directly and indirectly. Yeah, you know, it brings more revenue, brings more leads, brings more recognition, and even internal things like employee marketing and onboarding, you know, and all these things that are sort of soft, the soft side of marketing, but are very, very important. As I said, when I joined, the team was very small. So the first plan and idea we had is like, all right, let's, let's prove the value. Right. And for that, we started building V0.5 of our demand generation function and plan. Back then, it was very hands on. We took a look at every email that we were sending and we started segmenting the emails based on our personas, based on regions, and based on products. 
We rewrote and relaunched many of them. We launched new email streams and drip campaigns, and those immediately started sort of having an impact in not necessarily the number of MPLs that we were generating, but those MPLs that were moving forward in the sales funnel. So, you know, with that, we're able to prove a lot of value, I'd say in the, in the first three or so months. It's really fast. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was low-hanging fruit is an understatement. It was like a, a low-hanging, you know, coconut. I don't know, the biggest fruit you can think of. It was just right there. You just, you know, you just need to pick it. So, you know, with that, we started getting some, a lot of people on the sales team sort of becoming allies, right? And they're they wanting to help us. And they were more interested in what we were doing. So, you know, that, that conversation, that feedback, and sort of that collaboration started and that kicked off what we did next. So this was 2019. We're still relying a lot on events to generate many of our MQLs. So with that, we took a, a step back, looked at events, sort of understood what we were saying, what we weren't saying in those events. Redid some of the collaterals that we had and just sort of improved some of the things that we did slightly. And again, that improved the outcomes. And then we started focusing on the third area, which was, I think it was the area that brought the most impact, which was everything around marketing operations, essentially lead management, right? So understanding that we can't just upload leads to a system and then expect people to work on them. We have to follow up. We have to put a process, scoring criteria, and all these things that will allow then the sales organization to focus on those that are most valuable at first and then sort of work down the list. With that, of course, we got more and better friends internally. People were able to now focus on, on more specific deals, moving them forward faster and more effectively. And this actually started to show a lot of results based on, on just like direct commercial wins that we were having. So I think, you know, these were the first three things that we focused on. Again, super basic, but very, very, very necessary. Now, once we had a good enough grasp on, especially in the lead management side and email, email marketing or email nurturing, really, we did a huge revamp of our website. Essentially, back then, it was really hard to fill out a form on our website. The contact page was hidden. It was a, a generic contact form. So what I led was, or told the team, is like, hey, let's just put a contact form in every single product page. And boom, immediately leads started coming in at a greater number. We refined the content. I partnered with the product marketing team, improved the content, went deeper into, in some cases, the features, in other cases, the value propositions and things like that. And then, of course, those messagings, those messages started to resonate more and we started getting bigger results. Now, that all translated in roughly 50% of the pipeline nowadays, and this is a little bit over two and a half years later, is inbound. And when I started, that was probably in the 10 to 15%. This is beautiful. People are coming to your site. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a, a great change. We are influencing more deals. We're influencing and bringing inbound larger deals. And now we've been able to expand marketing much more beyond the pure demand generation function and, and bringing MQLs. Now we're focused on branding, brand communications, PR, talent marketing, you know, something that's a very hot topic nowadays, how to lure more employees or prospect employees into your, to your company, right? And have been able to work really hard on 
brand through reputation, positioning, awareness, and all these things that again are are more on the softer side of marketing, but extremely important when it comes to decision making and and overall, well, yeah, selecting a product or a new software, you know. Listen, for folks listening along at home, we're going to make Alberto go into the how of how we did all this stuff. But it's just it's just amazing to watch that sort of digital transformation, especially I love this story about the the form fill store where you literally couldn't fill out a form on the website. It was impossible to find. I I just like that's the kind of thing that if no one's watching it, that it it hamstrings, right, your your MQL process, right, because Filling out a exactly. form is one of the is one of the positive path significant ways that folks you know identify themselves and says, "Hey, I'm in market. I want to be reached out to. I want to talk. I want to. I want to be contacted." All right. Exactly. Just a little side note there, Alberto. How big is the team now, and your team specifically? So my team, we're a team of fourteen, and then the marketing team. We are probably between 35 to 40 people right now. Now, the, the marketing organization is essentially four sub-teams, corporate marketing and demand generation, which is a team I lead, product marketing, which includes content, strategy, product marketing, and RFX or you know, RFPs, RFI. The SDR team actually reports into marketing. Oh, and cool. that's been a, a super strategic decision that has resulted in impressive gains. And we also have the customer marketing team, which is growing and becoming much more important for us. It's a trend we're starting to see where the SDR team has a separate reporting function, either sometimes into marketing or sometimes they're their own, they're their mm-hmm. own subgroup. So really, yeah. it's a change from the way it was traditionally. Okay. So while we could sit here all day and talk about the amazing gains you have made, let's break it down. The folks listening want to know how the sausage is made. So we talked about transforming the funnel into inbound. We talked about how you're able to have quick wins. Can you share a little bit about the tools and processes and things you did to actually make this happen? Um, I've got some notes here, but I kind of want to hear it in your own words. Absolutely. So when you're selling something new, right? Essentially, I was marketing, marketing within the organization, right? Many people that have been here for years or joining had either no or little exposure to marketing. So we needed to show what marketing was and what we were doing, right? So the first thing, again, was heart metrics, right? We're doing X, we're spending Y, we're delivering Z. And we started sharing those results, becoming much more vocal, much more public about what we're doing and how those results were essentially impacting the organization down the line, right? We worked to be part of sales calls, meetings where we were sharing results, and we always had our our time slot to talk about what we were doing, what we were delivering. And that, of course, started to trickle down to other teams. So I think, you know, first thing, as I said, heart metrics, showing results is key. Whenever you're starting a new function, a new team, I think it might not be obvious, but you need to start tactical and showing, you know, quick wins. And that's what we did with the team I had back then and the resources, we showed quick wins that got us again, more executive buy-in, more budget, larger team. And now we're able to do a lot more, of course, together with that. And I have to say something that's very important is to get yourself or work towards getting sort of like an executive champion, someone, a top leader 
or high enough leader that is able to communicate back for you, you know, defend marketing, because this person is essentially who's going to drive the larger adoption of marketing and the larger understanding within the organization. In my case, I was very lucky to have a great VP of marketing. He's now transitioned over to the sales team. So we now have bigger collaboration and I guess symbiosis there, but we all had to work and it worked really well. And, and I think, you know, having that person sometimes is challenging. As I said at the beginning, I see a lot of, especially software companies are very product-based or product-led, right? The founders or executives are all highly technical people that, you know, built impressive products and they, they haven't necessarily been exposed to marketing. So getting one or many of them on your side by explaining what we do, what marketing does, how we do it, you know, essentially, I think the hardest part is to explain that marketing is, is a cost center and that we need a lot of money to deliver a lot more money. It's always a sort of like a scary conversation to have at first, but you know, once, once you prove your value and again, showing the hard metrics, I think it sort of sells by itself. I can't imagine a better way to drive sales and marketing alignment than to have the VP of marketing move over to the sales side. That's like a dream yeah. come true. Yeah. Yeah. We're very excited. <laughs> okay. You've talked a little bit about updating the website. So tell me a little bit about the tools you use to, so that, you know, you could make those changes quick and, and other tools that you, that you brought online, you know, to sort of optimize and get some of these quick wins. Mm-hmm. So I am a big advocate and ambassador for WordPress. I think it's, if you're starting a website, probably WordPress is what's going to serve you the, for the longest time and for the largest scale. So when I joined, the website was in WordPress, but again, everything was hard-coded. It was, you know, HTML was not, not easy to use. I got a contractor and asked them to make it, you know, so marketers or not technical people could use it. And we found a pre-made template, very easy to use, you know, make it much much friendlier than it was and it looked good and, and it worked for a while. This was, I think it was one of the I guess, pivoting moments for us from a, from a technology perspective, because now we're able to put out a lot of pages that we're desperately needing, you know, with the plugin ecosystem that WordPress has, it was very easy to bring in new technologies into it and allow a lot of the you know, non-technical people to go in and make changes as needed. Right. Maybe we're launching a new feature for a product, then it was very easy for us to do that. So I think that was one of the structural changes that we, that we did. Of course, we went a lot more technical and started thinking about global serving times, you know, content distribution networks and all these things, because we serve a global audience, most of it in Europe, Southeast Asia and Japan. So we needed to make sure that also the website was rendering quickly and, and correctly in those I was just going to say, you added a, uh, a conversational element to it as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where I was going. So we tested drift, a chatbot, and it started working really well for us. Like any tool, we started with the most basic approach to it, right? Small, straightforward, almost like web 1.0, you know, hello, how can I help you? You know, and you have some sort of preset answers. And what we found was that. We had a lot of engagement using this chatbot. So we brought in the SDR team into it. And now they are able to have live chats with people when they're visiting our website, when they're you know focused on specific sections of the website or particular product content pieces. 
And that has allowed them to, first of all, filter either in or out much faster than before, and also have a lot more meaningful conversations just online. You know, the experience is much smoother than having to jump in the call on a phone and have a call. It's just right there. To give you an actually a, a real anecdote, the industry, life sciences, is not necessarily a, a tech forward industry when it comes to software uh, or marketing software. And we've received several comments from now customers saying, wow, you know, the, the chatbot that you have, it's like the best thing I've ever used in my life. Like it was so easy to decide that I wanted to go with you guys. And it's, it's a very, you know, it's not a very basic tool, but it's, a, it's very common in Silicon Valley. It's not that common elsewhere. And when you start to implement that to, let's say, underserved industries in terms of technology, you start to make a, a significant change because you're presenting yourself Again, it's, it's much more forward and sort of feature looking than others. And you can interact with your prospects more quickly at the time when they are most interested in engaging. Exactly. Okay, there's, there's something else I definitely want to tackle. And that is you started to put your marketing automation to full use and it was a two-phased approach. Tell me a little bit about phase one, the data, and then let's move into phase two and talk to me about how we ramp that thing from being you know just the basic to something that actually is, you're getting all your money out of. Yeah. Well, I actually, I hope none of the listeners have had to go through this or will have to go through this because it was a very painful process. They will all have to go through. I mean, <laughs> that's the reality. But, you know, as I said, Ars Global is a 30 plus year company. We've been using a CRM for about 15 years or so. That means that there is 15 years worth of data in there. And most of it is sales data, right? So prospect data, you know, customer data. And of course, manually typed in, manually typed in, duplicated, triplicated, spelling errors, you know, company variation, name variations, et cetera. And of course, in 15 years, a lot of people move jobs, switch companies, retire, whatever, are, are not working anymore, right? So phase one of it was... Let's understand what we have in here. We took a look under the hood and we had about 70,000 or so contacts in there. Okay. This might not sound like a lot, but depending on the industry, this is a lot. Are you kidding? 70,000? That's, that's a tremendous <laughs> amount. Yeah. But you know, for life sciences, and again, it's, it's sort of like a limited industry in terms of people that work here, especially our target personas. It was pretty much the entire, entire market, everyone that we wanted to serve. But the great majority of it was dated, incorrect, duplicated, and so on. Unfortunately, right, for us and for anyone that has to go through this, it is a somewhat manual process that you you need to take. So we cleaned out the data in that for the first time, at least to my knowledge, we now had a clean marketable database, meaning we're going to send an email and we're not going to get 95%, you know, bounce rates, error rates, et cetera. We're now actually going to get people that are opening and clicking on our emails. So with that, we cleaned out the system. We essentially cut it where we have a same database, but for use purposes, we have a marketing CRM, let's call it that way, and a sales CRM. And of course, with that, you know, we can now have much better segmented list up to date enriched and so on that was phase one all right we it was essentially clean up doing the housework if i were to put an example if you're building a house we're basically cleaning up the land so we could 
start building up. That's what we did. Now, phase two, I actually brought in a, a super talent into my team. He's been uh, in marketing operations for, for, for many, many, many years. And uh, I'm not going to say his name because he, <laughs> I don't want anyone to poach him. But, uh, <laughs> but this person really came in and, and brought a lot of the professionalism that we were looking for and needing on the marketing operations side and was able to do a lot of what we were doing manually in a scaled way, you know, leveraged third-party vendors, software, et cetera, to have a, a very clean slate and trustworthy data. With that and following his lead, we've been able now to bring several different technologies into our marketing operations function that now allows us to, for example, enrich data in a real-time basis, right? deduplicate, clean out data, all these things that are very nitty gritty and again, very manual processes are now served by third-party software tools. And of course, this has allowed us to again do a lot more, be much more effective and much more efficient in how we're doing this. And this is part of the coaching that you would give anyone who's trying to build like an A-list tip of the spear marketing function is, you know, surrounding yourself with talent like this that can help you scale. Yep, exactly. There's that, I don't know who said it or where you come from, but there's the, you know, the circle of what you know, the circle of what you don't know, and then the circle of what you don't know that you don't know, which is the greatest of them all, right? I know that I don't know much about CRM and sort of marketing operations software. So I bring in someone that knows about that, but I don't know about other things that I haven't even read about, right? So I've been able to very luckily and also smartly hire impressive talent, especially in the last year uh, where my team almost, I think more than doubled in size. And each of these unique individuals have brought in a particular set of skills that again, in our case, and many times they're sort of brand new for the marketing team and brand new for the company. And I've really allowed them to sort of lead the way with their knowledge and experience because it's the only way that you can really grow your, your marketing results and your marketing function. As a marketing leader here, you know, I fully trust them and I'm here to support them and sort of point them in the right direction, but not necessarily tell them what they should be doing or what they should be focusing on because they know better than me in that sense. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. You've got a number of areas you're interested in, you know, B2B tech and thought leaders in the go-to market space. Is there a book or a blog or a newsletter or a website or a video or a person that you think is interesting in that space that you yourself read or follow or watch? Do you think other executives who want to recreate the magic that you've created for your company that you want to mention here on the pod? Yeah, I'm going to start with not necessarily a particular person, but I think if you're starting to build a marketing team or you're already leading a large marketing team, I think... One of the biggest passions for me right now in marketing is, is on the branding side and everything that a brand represents. I think it's very important for every marketer to learn about branding or at least have a, a really good understanding of what it is and the impact that it can drive for the entire organization directly and indirectly. So no particular person there, it's just a topic that I think it's, it's very, very important. Now for, I think overall, for leadership, marketing, you know, branding, products, etc. One of my favorite books, it's called Let My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. So 
if you're familiar with Patagonia, the clothing brand, like every other person in like San Francisco Bay area, they, they wear a Patagonia vest, right? I think Yvonne has built not just an impressive company with everything that they sell and they do, but what's most impressive is how they built it or how he built it. To give you a little bit of backstory, he's a climber, you know, outdoorsman, surfer, fisherman, everything outdoors and sort of like a businessman second. And when he started the company, actually started as Black Diamond, it was climbing gear because he loved climbing, but he hated damaging the rocks. So he built a new technology that now, instead of drilling the rock, you just sort of tighten there. I don't necessarily know much about uh, climbing, but it's essentially what everyone uses in climbing now. And, you know, his early employees were all like him and friends of theirs. We're always told like, you know, if the day is nice outside and you want to go climbing, go climbing. If you have, if there's a good swell and there are waves outside, go surfing, right? And I've sort of taken that, I read this book many years ago and I've reread it several times, sort of taken that to heart and have always given everyone I've worked with different, you know, levels and extent, sort of that freedom of, you know, if you need to do something, go do it, right? I don't necessarily need you to be here from nine to five or whatever time you need. It's more like, you know, do your thing and then go, go do what you really want to do. Right. If that's climbing a tree, go for it. If that's, you know, you need to go to the doctor's point of course, go for it. That whole philosophy of essentially, you know, focusing on the things that you really like and, and sort of you're passionate about has also led Patagonia to be one of the pioneers in ESG which is a, a really important topic nowadays, right? They established the 1% for the world, I believe it's, it's called, where they donate 1% of the revenue to environmental causes. And many companies have followed suit. So that's definitely a book I recommend. They go really deep into how they develop their products, which is very fascinating to me. It diverts a lot from how many other products are developed. If we have time, Essentially what they do is that they find a new fabric and based on that fabric, they create the garment and not the other way around where most companies will say, Hey, I need a, I don't know, a ski jacket. I need to find something that's insulated, you know, water repellent, etc. They go the other way around. So, you know, that can be applicable to your business, to your venture. I know other people have done it. I think it's a very interesting approach to product development. So anyways, as you can tell, I'm, I'm very passionate about this and uh, highly recommend it. Very passionate. Yeah. They didn't just build a great set of products. They built a great culture as well. Exactly. Well, all right. It has been my great pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being on our show. And I hope that you and I get to talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And yeah, hope, hope to be in another episode. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.